0: And welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I am your host, Leah Pilconis. You're about to listen to our latest episode on cybersecurity and construction. We recorded this interview a few weeks ago when the world was, in many ways, a different place. Reports are that there's an increased cybersecurity risk due to the coronavirus pandemic. Phishing, email business compromise scams, and social engineering attacks are all on the rise. With so many construction firms relying extensively on telecommuting and remote access, prioritizing cybersecurity and system resilience may be more important now than ever before. Thank you for listening to this episode. Cybersecurity risks in construction can come from multiple sources as well as multiple job sites at any given time. Construction sites are, are vulnerable to many forms of cyber attack, including social engineering, ransomware attacks, wire fraud, and hacking. Short-term impacts include disruption of a company's daily business operations and lost income, for example. But long-term impacts may include reputational risk due to reports of data theft, project shutdowns, or financial issues. Do you feel like your company is prepared? With me today is a risk expert from Zurich, North America. She's gonna talk about what you need to look out for and share some tips and preventative measures that will go a long way in helping construction firms of all sizes protect themselves. So I'm really excited to welcome Nikki Ingram. She's a cybersecurity risk engineer with Zurich, North America. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you for having me, We. Great, thanks so much for being here. So I'd like to start off by just inviting you to say a few words about yourself, what you do for Zurich, and kind of how you've been involved with the construction industry.
1: So I have my bachelor's of science in electrical engineering technology, and then I enlisted in the U.S. Navy and did their military law enforcement, or what they call master at arms, uh, was a petty officer first class, and they were like, congrats, it's got a battery, you have a technical degree it's now your problem. So that's kind of my intro into cybersecurity. And then when I uh, got out of the Navy, I got my master's in cybersecurity and then got hired on as, as a cyber risk engineer, which is kind of a nice blending of the law enforcement cybersecurity expertise. But the military, we use risk management all the time. So the risk engineering and then um it just started off as a random conversation with a fellow risk engineer who happened to be from construction and they started asking questions and were like, you know what, we really, we've got a lot of questions. Can you help us? And so that kind of led me down into construction and now I focus, uh, across the different industries, but with a particular, uh, focus with construction and healthcare are my two areas.
0: Okay. Great, wow, really strong cybersecurity background. So tell me a little bit more about why cybersecurity is a topic that contractors and the construction industry should care about. Unfortunately,
1: uh, we've decided that everything has to talk to the internet now. So I'm waiting for when the hammers and the screwdrivers now are remotely accessible. but the reality is, is that construction, just like all other industries, has data. They have a reliance on technology. You, know, you look at the aging workforce and some of the areas where there's struggles. You know, Worker safety is a really big one. Communication is an area what's really important. And all of those have underlying uh, construction or um, technology components to them, which is where the cybersecurity risk uh, comes into. So if you've got more than like A file folder and something with a battery, there's probably a cyber exposure at construction. It's just not something we've traditionally seen as an area that attackers are going to go after.
0: In the old days, I think people thought, well, I've got antivirus. That's enough to protect me. But hackers, they're getting so much more sophisticated. Discuss some of the types of attacks. So unfortunately, the Internet keeps all the bad stuff
1: no matter if it's something that you and I put out or if it's something the crime hackers put out out on the internet. So things like viruses that we saw 10, 15, 20 years ago are still out there. Um, That's why you've got to really maintain your virus protection. Um, But on the other hand, they are constantly looking to up their game. It's, a you know, similar to sports analogies is what I usually do because it's something people can relate to is that, you know, you have an offense and the defense and the hackers are the offense and they're constantly upping their game and the defense gets better on blocking that type of, you know, play. And then sure enough, two seconds later, the offense is upping their game again. So it's a constant back and forth. So you've got the viruses, you're seeing things about, you know, the distribution denial of service, a DDoS attack, which Mm -hmm. can interrupt just the general availability of something, Um, the stealing of data based off of different types of malware that are out there. And malware really is just malicious software. Um, It covers a wide variety of different things, such as ransomware being a more well-known one currently. Um, Cyber, we're not very original on how we name things. So ransomware is we hold your computer, your system or your network for ransom. And that's been really lucrative for companies, just uh, for the attackers, simply from the perspective of it's an immediate felt by the company and they tend to be really quick to wanting to get back up into operating again. And as it's been good and currently defenses are the industry as a whole, not just construction, but all companies are trying to learn to better balance. You know, how do you defend against it? We get better, they up their game. So it's a ever evolving type of risk area and the attacks are always changing. It's kind of what's the skill set of that particular attacker that's coming after you and with construction. I hate to say it, but the lack of maturity um, in construction as a whole when it comes to cybersecurity, because we haven't thought about it uh, as much until more recent years, is that it's a fairly easy target because you don't see as much of the newer type of security tools. It's more of the legacy older. I just have an antivirus and a firewall like that
0: should be good. And nowadays it
1: needs to be a little bit more.
0: And I was going to ask you, and you kind of led right into that, why do you think construction companies are vulnerable?
1: It's a couple different areas. One is the fact that you have a, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of mentality, which is very common across organizations. But it means that there's a lot of older legacy computers that are no longer supported and can't be updated or patched. Um, You'll hear both of those. And that means that they're vulnerable to different types of attacks, not just the old ones, but the newer ones that are coming out because that information is always getting shared about here's a weakness in this system. And if you can't fix it, you can't put a patch or any kind of mitigation on it. It just means that you've got to find other ways to manage through it. So there's a lot of legacy systems within construction. Um, You also don't see as many IT or security professionals in this space. And unfortunately, that does mean that you don't have anyone dedicated and focused to looking at this risk. Um, smaller companies certainly are going to be even less inclined to necessarily give it, a, not that they don't want to give it attention, but that they don't have the either the capacity or the understanding of the risk to know how to better invest and improve the mm-hmm. security. So it's a kind of a combination. And it, as I mentioned previously with the emerging technology, unfortunately just means more and more avenues for an attack to come in. Um, Before the big thing when we first saw the internet come about was that people were concerned, risk managers were concerned about not letting cyber technology interrupt business operations. 10, 15, 20 years later, everything's now about data. And so construction looks at, we don't have credit card, we don't have healthcare information. We don't really keep a lot of personally identifiable information. So we're not a target. And that's not the case as we see more and more attacks are now starting to go after intellectual property, Mm -hmm. trade secrets. You know, construction is really good about how they build stuff. And so competitors in other regions, you know, come after that type of information, not to mention hacktivism and all the other types of attacks that are out there. You know, construction has a unique place in that they can be in very... Uh, socially acceptable places. And then there's projects that they work on that have a lot of tension or a lot of uh, strong opinions from those around it. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, encourages different types of attackers to come through. So there's a whole slew of different um, motivation and reasons
0: why people target the construction industry. You talked about the you know, increased dependency on technology and the, a lot of file and data sharing outside of the company, like the, the collaboration w- within the digital environment. I'm sure the mobile workforce has a lot to do with it as well, people at all different locations. Can you talk, before we get too far down the road, I, I want you to say a little bit for, for anyone that is not familiar with this term. What What is social engineering and phishing? Because that's a whole other type of cyber attack where, I mean, I've read a lot about this um, where the, you know, the hacker, the fraudster is getting so um, much more sophisticated where they're kind of lingering on the outskirts and trying to learn about the company and its practices and finding out about people who work for the company and then trying to attack them through some sort of email and getting you to click on something or, or exchange um, financial information? How, do, how does all that work? So social engineering is basically
1: exploiting good human behavior. Typically, we're really familiar with it now in the cyberspace with the phishing emails, and I'll get to that in a second. But um, social engineering also includes tailgating. So somebody following you behind a gate, you know, when they should have checked their ID, but they're like, oh, no, no, hold it. I've got a box of flowers for somebody like you should be bringing a box of flowers to a construction site. I mean, I know you guys all love each other, but. Um, so social engineering, it can be not just from a digital type of social engineering, you'll see it where people will do attempted uh, cell phone calls, or text messages. So a lot of it is playing on human behavior, and trying to exploit, you know, good things. And unfortunately, why it works so well is that by nature, you know, people are trusting, and we think the best of people. Um, and that's the difficulty with addressing social engineering is because you run into a lot of cultural challenges there. With phishing specifically, um, that is emails with the intent being to click or do something, uh, within that email, give credentials. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a reply and then starting a conversation will give you a sense. Oh yeah, this person is someone I should be dealing with. Um, And then to your point that you alluded to, attackers, you'll see the mass sent out emails, you know, the individual who's a prince in some country and can't get back and wants to send you one. Personally, my favorite is the African astronaut stuck on the International Space Station um, that's trying to get home. I saw that one once and I was like, uh, I didn't know they had one. But then you see ones that are very sophisticated mm-hmm. in construction, particularly, uh, you hear a lot around, or at least I've heard a lot around, um, the vendor and subcontractor fake invoicing right. coming through. And then that kind of leads to fraud. So a lot of the cyber attacks, you'll see there's a overlap over, like there'll be a phishing element, and then that's how they got the ransomware in. And okay. then that caused you know a data loss, because while you don't have control of the system, the attackers are doing you know as much harm as they can Uh, because they want to get the most bang for their buck for the time
0: that they're investing. It's a business model to them. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about when these attacks happen, what is it that the construction industry faces? Like, what is it that they stand to, to lose with these attacks? Well, as your intro kind of alluded
1: to, you've got the immediate kind of the business interruption that we feel right away. You know, If you can't access communication systems or your BIMs or your building information management systems, um, and you can't get to blueprints or you're, you can not put in a work order, or maybe you can't make a bid, um, in the de- timeline that's required. All of that's felt very immediately. Um, then you have attacks where I, my current favorite, um, is that the giant tower cranes are now remotely hackable. So you think of somebody gets in, some of these attackers have malicious intent, some of them are just thrill seekers, they don't know what they're doing. And so do you cause a tower crane to fall down and all we all know how damaging and catastrophic that can be. Um, you've got the concern for you know the lost intellectual property or the lost customer information, mm-hmm. especially if you're working on some of these sensitive projects. That tends to be something that somebody's going to hold you know public uh, opinion later, as far as reputational harm of a cyber attack. Right. So all suddenly it's like I can't hire workers because they don't trust that I'm going to keep their. W-2 safe, and I can't win bids because nobody trusts me to give me the information okay. to build. So there's a lot of supply chain and uh, elements within the whole construction process that could be impacted by a cyber event, not to mention um, a increasing concern, is especially with some of these uh, long-term projects, is what happens if somebody... Uh, manipulates the data. We become very reliant on the information, but if I move a decimal place and I build something to spec, did I just change the load-bearing quality or does all of a sudden my bridge that I'm trying to meet in the middle of a river suddenly get off by a fraction or something? It sounds a little Hollywood sci-fi, but these are the type of things that attackers are going through. They'll be like, huh, I saw that in a movie. I wonder if I could do it in real life. And so really that's where the risk manager and the project managers come in. And I'm always asking them, like, what's your concern? What, what do you rely on and can I... You know, my role then is to say, okay, how would I ruin your day by, you know, interrupting that cyber uh, element or making it unavailable? What could I steal? How could I monetize it? And so it's Mm -hmm. kind of an ever evolving, you know, two way dialogue.
0: Right. All very scary. (laughs) Let's say I'm a small business construction company owner and I don't have any person on staff who is a technology expert how would I go about assessing my cyber risk?
1: There is uh, what's out is called the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, uh, Cybersecurity Framework. It is five elements to it. It is put out by the government, short little history lesson, Uh, came under the previous uh, presidential administration. They wanted something that could be used to assess cybersecurity across all the different industries within critical infrastructure, which includes construction. Uh, So it had to be something that was broad and they went from a risk perspective because you don't have the same level of sophistication across all the different critical infrastructures like construction's a different level of maturity from say the financial institutions or energy or something. And so it breaks it down into identify. So what do you have that's important? What's, you know, computer data, whatever, then protect. So how are you protecting it? How are you, you know, putting in either typical risk management terms? How are you eliminating the risk? How are you putting in mitigation controls? You know, all that falls into the protect stage. How do you detect? Because unfortunately, security, it's never going to be 100%. So there's always going to be some time when there's an event. So the sooner you detect it, the sooner you start responding, which is the fourth phase. And just like a fire, you've you you know you've got your fire detection mechanism, you start responding. So cyber, the same thing, you have a cyber response plan. And then ultimately, the goal is to recover. And it walks you through a really good kind of process. Through it. Um, in fact, we've got available self-risk assessment on our uh, app, the Zerk Risk Advisor, that follows the NIST. It's 23 questions that kind of would allow for the risk manager or project manager to go through and ask, you know. Do I know all of my inventory or do I only know a portion of it? Do I know what's important or do I just kind of treat everything the same? Do I control who has access to the important stuff or do I let everyone have access? So that's a really good way to start the conversation because even if you had an inside um, IT security or cyber security IT and security, not the same role. You don't want me programming your internet. But even they would need somewhere to start and it allows you to have a structured way of identifying, okay, this is gonna have the most impact to my business instead of the square peg, round hole type of idea of saying, oh, you need this. It's like, "Eh, maybe you don't, but that's where the risk assessment's really valuable. And it doesn't have to be, overly technical to start off with. It can be just from a risk perspective, start asking those questions and then bringing in, you know, construction is phenomenal in that they actually like having help. They really understand the concept of subcontractors and bringing in vendors unlike some of the other industries that struggle with that kind of concept. So in some ways construction actually is a little ahead because they're better at about finding a resource or an expert in a space to get in and help them. These assessment
0: tools. Are they available for anyone? They're, yep, free.
1: The Zerk Risk Advisor is free we ourselves also do a risk assessment, uh, fee for service. There's other companies out there that do risk assessments for a fee. Uh, so you can always hire a third party to come in and do a risk assessment. Okay. Um, following different methodologies, some companies, if you have a internal risk assessment, maybe it's just somebody to kind of audit and say, Hey, yeah, that you are in fact doing what you're saying you're doing, you know, the mm-hmm. trust, but verify type of concept. Cause internally they maybe kind of get a little blinded to certain things. Cause that, you just get familiar with the process. Like how many times do we drive home and we don't even think about half our drive because it's just muscle memory. right? Um, So the third-party risk assessment can be a very good way to get a fresh look at a program and Mm -hmm. say, and for trying to get support for senior leadership to invest, having that kind of impartial third-party say, here's an area of weakness, here's how to address it, Um, here's some options, be it, you know, different security tools, new program or process, mm-hmm. maybe it's additional employee training in the case of like social engineering. Um, you find what's works really well. And that kind of means, oh, you're not just asking for something. Mm-hmm. Here's something meaningful
0: with it. You know? Well, because with the third party, you're getting the feedback and the, the input yep. after they do the assessment. And if they're good, so, they should also do some benchmarking in there to say, you know, kind of
1: give you a sense of how are you doing compared to peers right, within right, your industry so that you have You have a sense of being able to you know have an accomplishment because it shouldn't just be all doom and gloom i mean cyber we tend to be kind of doom and gloom about it but there should be you know recognizing where there's good going on at a program and you know the project managers the guys at the local sites are the ones who know what it looks like best at that Mm -hmm. level corporate has its own view and perspective so there's two different very distinct uh perceptions of their cyber risk and getting all those people together can be very impactful
0: we will put some information in the show notes for this podcast, kind of recapping what you just shared and linking to where you can go online to find some of those risk assessment tools. But building on what you just shared as far as getting that feedback on what a business needs to do to address cyber-related risk, can you talk a little bit more? Just I know this is high level and kind of broadly <laughs> speaking, but... How do businesses mitigate these risks? So you've done your assessment, you you recognize that you've got some vulnerabilities. What are some general steps and advice that you give um, to your clients? Having a asset inventory is huge. Um, it's an ever
1: going process as far as you know, an asset inventory should be not just what you know, hardware devices I have, what programs or software do I have and what data and where that all sits. I guess that makes your privacy a lot easier when you know where all your data is, but do you know how critical that is to your network? So if it's a computer that isn't very important, it's just the HR, we'll pick on marketing. We'll just say it's the marketing computer that Probably being unavailable for two days isn't as impactful as if it's your building management system being unavailable. Mm -hmm. You know, your CFO losing a laptop versus your local field worker losing your laptop, again, might have a very different reaction to it. And that kind of goes into with the protection. Encryption is extremely helpful. Uh, Laptops and mobile devices walk away all the time. So encrypting them means that they're not usable. At least data isn't retrievable by the attackers. They may have a hardware device, but they can't get at the data. Um, access control, especially for privileged users, anyone who has access to the network from a control perspective or who has access to that sensitive information, you'll hear things like multi-factor. So not just a username and password, but maybe I get a message on my phone with a code that I have to type in Mm -hmm. or the fingerprint or the face recognition. Um, The more challenges I have, I know from a user perspective, we're like, oh, it takes me time to do that. But that really makes it that much harder for the attackers to imitate you. Mm-hmm. Um, awareness training is huge. It doesn't have to be long. Um, mm-hmm. I hate death by PowerPoint. So mm-hmm. five minutes to tell, hey, you don't have access to computer, don't touch computer. You have access to computer, don't do anything you're not supposed to do. Um, can be very helpful, uh, constant keep the message. And a lot of it applies at home to workers. So if you relate how good security at work can also be good security at home, it tends to mean that that all of a sudden those social engineering attacks that are looking at their social media become harder because that information now is being better hidden and controlled by the individual. Um, detection is very big. Um, detecting vulnerability, so how f- do you do vulnerability scan and see that I forgot to put a patch in the network, um, which leads into the patching, the vulnerability management. And then finally, having a plan. Um, Incident response and disaster recovery, business continuity, all can be distinct plans. In many companies, especially larger, they tend to be just a single crisis type of plan, Uh, whatever works for the company. Ultimately, you want to know what is it you're going to do when you detect something that went wrong? How are you going to respond? Who are you going to call? Sorry, there are no cyber ghostbusters out there for that. Um, And then the same thing with the recovery and the business continuity. If I know I have working backups, that gives me a lot more options in my way I handle ransomware versus if I don't have any backups and I'm kind of just left with my only copy now being in the Mm -hmm. control of somebody else. So at a high level, uh, I think that's about nine. I usually keep it right around that Mm -hmm. number. Um, But the good thing is, is that also applies across any type of different attack. Um, All those different Uh, suggestions have an impact on the ransomware. You know, if I protect the, if I have backups, I've got plans, my employees are aware. If I do the DDoS, well, if I have segmentation, the distributed denial of service may not get across my entire network. It's now limited to just a single server and that can fail over because I've got good recovery uh, mechanisms. And I'm not getting the virus because I'm doing good vulnerability management. So the good thing is, is that cyber really doesn't have to look at every individual threat or type of attack. Um, good cyber management can just start off at with the core basics. And every year, we just kind of reorder which one is more important, but it, he, it tends to be the same uh, 910, depending on who breaks it out year over year for all different type of attacks. So that's, what's kind of nice is that you don't have to try and do something for each type of attack.
0: Great. That's great advice. Very helpful. I'm wondering what kind of role insurance can play in all of this.
1: I had somebody explain to me, and it's like the only thing I know under insurance, uh, is that good risk management is you eliminate the risk where you can. You mitigate it, put controls in or do like my role, the cyber risk engineering piece and then risk transfer. And that's the part that cybersecurity insurance Mm -hmm. plays in is it's risk transfer. Really, if you took off the word cyber and you just said risk, a lot of people understand how to handle and manage that process. Cyber, we just make it more headache inducing, you know, same thing. Cyber disaster recovery. So, when it comes to the role of insurance, it really is just to help the companies do a complete risk management. Uh, program, you know, does it have? Does the policy cover those business interruption, mm-hmm. those time delays? Is there, you know, the property elements in there for the destruct? Like if a tower crane falls right. down or destruction, because some malware isn't intended to steal data; it just wants to destroy the device. Um, fun fact: it's called bricking malware, and it really just wants to turn whatever it gets onto into a fancy paperweight. So the insurance piece, different coverages, um, you really have to talk to the brokers and the underwriters on what, you know, fits that particular organization and their needs. And that kind of goes to that business impact analysis that's part of, you know, a crisis management. So again, things that we've heard of before, actually do apply the same way in cyber. And yeah, I would highly recommend checking out with the brokers and your underwriters about what specifically
0: fits the coverage perspective. Okay, thank you. Uh So I have one more question for you. In your interactions and dealings with contractors as of late, what is their reaction to the information that that you share and uh, on cyber, on cyber risk? Do do you think that contractors think that they're vulnerable? And and when you share strategies for assessing vulnerability and then these um, different assessment tools and steps that that companies should take. What what is the reaction to all of this?
1: Uh, It's a fair mix. When I first started uh, with Zerk three and a half years ago, construction and cyber risk engineering was kind of like, oh, it's a cool topic. Everyone talks about cyber. Not so sure I really care. Mm -hmm. Um, So while interested, because again, curious by nature, Over the past couple years, since then, I have seen an increase. Um, You're now starting to see construction included in some of the surveys of industries when you're seeing the big cyber publications come out, like the Verizon data breach uh, report and stuff, the VBIR. Uh, So construction is now getting looked at because we're seeing that they're getting hit with different types of attacks. Previously, the data, uh, a lot of the states have data privacy laws that require a certain uh, amount of reporting because construction doesn't hold the same type of data. They don't have that reporting because ransomware doesn't require you to report, Um, which means that as a whole, it makes it very difficult to say, you know, I can hide under the rug that I had a bad day from a cyber perspective. I'm not going to say I had a thing. So there's a lot more events that are occurring. Um, and I thinking a lot more companies that that I've talked to, unfortunately, they're kind of getting the call of like, I had a bad day. What do I do? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, you kind of need to have prepared for it. I mean, we prepare for other type of events, preparation makes a lot of difference. Um, and in some cases it's like, we prepared for a small type of attack, but we didn't think somebody big and sophisticated would come after my local Midwest, you know, company. And I'm like you never know who like half the time they don't know who they're attacking and if it's a targeted attack maybe it's because you're really good at your job and now you've got something that somebody's trying to compete against or you know you were the easiest target so we're going to go for i hate to say it but the weakest link out there um and exploit that one so i i've seen a lot um I've heard a lot around the invoicing fraud and Mm -hmm. the fake uh, contract bids coming through. That's been a really big one. And then, of course, any of the big, you know, mass type of attacks will hit construction just as much as any other industry. It really just.
0: Yeah, construction's not as immune as they want. Right, yeah. Well, thank you so much for all that you're doing to help increase awareness and to help contractors prepare. I know that you're here uh, in Vegas right now at AGC's National Convention. Nikki's gonna be giving two presentations today um, on cyber risk, and we're gonna make sure that we include a link to her PowerPoint uh, in the show notes for this podcast so people can benefit from the training that she's giving here at our convention, thank you so much, Nikki, for being here and for uh, sharing your expertise with us. It's really been a pleasure talking with you. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for listening. This has been the AGC Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to Constructor Cast from your podcast app or stream all available episodes right from your computer at www.agc.org/constructorcast.